Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. Today is Friday. It's the 13th of January. This is Here First from IPR News. I'm Clay Masters. Governor Kim Reynolds' signature school choice legislation has taken its first step forward in the Iowa Senate. The plan to create state-funded education savings accounts that families could use to pay for private school advanced out of a Senate education subcommittee. It was also the first chance for the public to comment on the bill. Justin Hollenrake graduated from a public high school in Ankeny. He told lawmakers he opposes the governor's proposal because he fears it will weaken the school system where his relatives live in rural Iowa. With how many schools have shut down, how much rural consolidation there's been, 10 years from now, is public school even going to be an option? The schools even be open? Will private school be the only option? Supporters pushed back on claims that state funding for private schools would threaten public schools. They point to a provision that would send around $1,200 back to the local public school of every student that receives an education savings account, even if they never went to public school. The next chance for the public to weigh in is next Tuesday at 5 p.m. at a hearing being held by the House Education Reform Committee. That's at the Capitol. Major General Ben Carell updated the legislature on the condition of the Iowa National Guard yesterday. IPR's Katerina Sestarek tells us Carell says the Guard has been having trouble recruiting new members. Carell says 2022 was the worst year for military recruitment since 1973. He says educational opportunities and jobs are pulling people away from military service. Carell says the National Guard's college scholarships are an important recruiting tool. He says the Guard gives about 700 scholarships per year, but last year more than 900 members got college aid. Carell is asking lawmakers for more than a million additional dollars to ensure they don't run out of money for scholarships. All right, so it's critical for us to keep that program going, keep it funded. It's important for Iowa, it's important for our communities to get these young people with a college education. And then we got to balance their requirements in the Iowa National Guard with their ability to go to school. He says he's also looking forward to bringing unvaccinated members back to active duty as the COVID-19 vaccine mandate gets lifted. The wife of Republican Woodbury County Supervisor Jeremy Taylor is accused of committing voter fraud during the 2020 primary and general elections. Kim Fawn Taylor was arrested on Thursday for allegedly generating false votes in two of her husband's races. She was charged by indictment with 26 counts of providing false information in registering and voting, three counts of fraudulent registration, and 23 counts of fraudulent voting. She's accused of signing voter registration and absentee ballot forms on behalf of voters without their permission, according to court documents. If convicted, she could face a maximum of five years for each count. Recent data published by the CDC show the most recent bivalent COVID-19 booster is very effective in preventing hospitalizations of older Iowans. IPR's Natalie Krebs has more. The data show that people over 65 who got the bivalent booster were 73 percent less likely to be hospitalized with COVID than those who have just received doses of a monovalent vaccine. Nick Moore is a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Iowa, which contributed data to the study. He says it's important for everyone eligible to get the bivalent booster. Being vaccinated is important not only for those people, but for the people who uh, are in their families and their loved ones and friends to protect uh, the people who are most likely to have bad outcomes from COVID-19 infection. 
Moore says the new booster is also effective against the most recent XBB.1.5 subvariant, which is becoming the dominant strain in the U.S. and is more transmittable than previous subvariants. And the Iowa Department of Agriculture has lifted an order canceling all live bird exhibitions. This comes as the USDA has not confirmed a new bird flu case in Iowa poultry in 30 days. The order was put in place in November after a ramp-up of highly pathogenic avian influenza cases in Iowa poultry coincided with the fall migration of wild birds. This is Here First. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The underground water in the Ogallala Aquifer makes life possible on the high plains. But after decades of large-scale crop irrigation, it's drying up quickly. David Condos of the Kansas News Service reports on a plan to try to preserve more of what's left. Fly west over Kansas and you'll see the prairie transform into a patchwork of green circles. Mile after mile of geometric crop fields spun into the near-desert landscape by wells that tap water hidden beneath the dry surface. For more than six decades, one of those wells showered the grain on Travis Leonard's family farm in Haskell County. This well's been, but as drought intensified this, this fall, the well began pumping up sand instead of clear water, and he shut it down for the last time. This was his final hurrah. His farm used to have 16 wells like this one. It's now down to three. In a decade or two, he predicts this part of southwest Kansas won't have any irrigation wells left. That day's coming. It's happened to a lot of people already. It will happen to everybody eventually. The region's main water source, the Ogallala Aquifer, is being sucked dry, one irrigation sprayer at a time. And farmers and state leaders can't agree on how to save the future of life in western Kansas without choking the livelihoods of the people who live here. 75 miles north of Leonard's Dry Well, dozens of farmers gather to discuss a possible answer growing crops with less irrigation. It's the first public hearing for a local enhanced management area, or LIMA, a new plan to cut water use in four counties by 10 percent, maybe starting this year. Now, even that 10 percent cut won't be enough to stop the aquifer's decline. But Katie Durham, who leads the local groundwater district, says it's a vital first step. This is do or die. I mean, without water, these communities, this infrastructure, it wouldn't be here. The key to this Lima program is putting water conservation decisions in the hands of a local board, rather than the state. That doesn't mean it's all kumbaya. One of the farmers at the hearing, Cameron Shea, says many irrigators are still wary of any water limits. It has to be done smartly. It can't just be done by a bunch of activists who come in and don't know what they're talking about and strong arm it and do radical things. Water has long been a point of contention in dry western Kansas. After all, water means money. More than 90% of the water used in this area goes to grow crops. But the H2O buffet is closing down, and the climate is heating up. Kansas State University researcher Vishali Sharda says if western Kansas keeps irrigating at its current pace, the science is clear about what happens next. There is no guessing. We know that the aquifer is depleting, right? It's depleting at an unsustainable pace. But remember, using that water is what built this region's multi-billion dollar economy. Take southwest Kansas. Its agriculture relies more on irrigation than anywhere else in the state. And plans to restrict pumping there haven't gotten very far. 
Mark Rood, who leads that region's groundwater district, says strict rules to save the aquifer don't make sense if they come at the expense of the economy. It's important that we not forget that what we're trying to preserve here is not only the community as a whole, but the business strategy, the overall viability of that community. But in places where limits have already started, the results are promising. Part of northwest Kansas reduced its irrigation by nearly one-third, and some farmers saw profits go up as they spent less to pump water and buy seed and fertilizer. And right next to where the new limits are proposed, Wichita County started cutting its irrigation two years ago. This field didn't receive any irrigation water. That's where Brian Bach sits in a combine, harvesting his last cornfield of the year. Drought left its mark here. His combine has to skim the ground to reach the rows of short corn plants out the front window. But he was still able to grow something. He says adjusting to a future with less water may not be painless, but it is possible. And in western Kansas, it's a matter of survival. I was a little skeptical at first on how it was going to impact our farm, but regardless of whether somebody likes it or not, we've got to do something to extend the life of this aquifer or it's not going to be there. For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Condos in Leota. This is Here First from IPR News, a podcast you can find wherever you subscribe to them. I'm Clay Masters. Thanks for listening.